0: Have you ever um, been in an experience where you have uh, been in front of someone and they've made a claim to be something or to be able to do something uh, and they've given absolutely no evidence to prove that claim? Like what they do, how they live, what they say does not back up that claim whatsoever. I often ask questions at the beginning of a sermon, and then as I'm preparing, I try to think of illustrations that relate to the question. Sometimes I really have to struggle, really search hard to come up with an example, but this one, I can think of so many times in my own life where I've experienced someone who's made a claim and yet failed to back it up with evidence. Uh, I've hired people who came with a really impressive resume, and yet their work Ethic, work style, the results of what they did didn't back up the claims of their resume. Uh, Years ago, I used to play in a lot of baseball teams and played lots of tournaments, and we'd be short a player, and someone would say, oh, I know so-and-so. They say that they really are a good baseball player, and we would be in pretty competitive tournaments, and this player would show up, and it's obvious that they probably never had a glove on their hand and could not hit a ball. The, The evidence didn't back up their claim. Probably one of the funniest ones. I was a youth leader at the church I grew up at and we every year put on a senior saints banquet at Christmas time. So the youth would put on this banquet with a program and a dinner for the seniors of the church. And there are probably 50 or 60 seniors that we'd get out to this evening. And every year it was the female leaders and the female youth that did most of the work. And every year, us guys had to sit and listen to the females complain about how much work the Senior Saints banquet was and all the preparation. Finally, us guy leaders says, you know what? We're doing it this year. You ladies don't have to do anything. We're going to take it upon ourselves. We'll plan everything. We'll do the invitations. We'll even do the decorations. We'll put the program together. And just before the night of the event, it hit us we don't have someone who can play the piano, because we do Christmas carols and some hymns as part of the program. And so I put out the May Day to the youth. I said, does anyone know how to play the piano? And one of the youth said, I can play the piano. I've taken years of piano lessons. I'm perfect for the job. And that was it, we didn't ask any more questions. And so the night of the program, no practice, uh, we get out the hymn books and the chorus sheets and we tell the seniors that we're going to have some singing uh, and this youth gets up to the piano to start the introduction and to my shock, plays with one finger. The introduction, I'm going, okay, maybe that's just so the older people can hit their note and, and then, you know, be all the you know, fingers on the keyboard. And that was it. And as a good youth leader... I had to go outside of the room because I was laughing hysterically at how poor this piano player was who claimed to be this accomplished pianist. And I'm sure you can all think of examples of of funny situations where someone's made a claim and yet there's no evidence to back up that claim. And maybe you yourself have found yourself in a real awkward situation because you claimed to be something or you claimed to be able to do something uh, and then you found yourself awkwardly having to prove that claim to be true and that's really a premise to a lot of Hollywood movies right claiming something and then having to prove it and 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 we laugh at a lot of those movies because and we laugh at a lot of the situations that we can think of that took place years ago because they are funny but there's one situation there's one claim that isn't funny it's really a serious matter and that's when someone claims to have faith, claims to be a follower of Jesus, and yet there's no evidence to back up that claim. They, they, they claim that they believe, and they think they're okay because they believe, and yet there's no fruit. There's no love of Christ. This relationship that they say they have with Jesus because they claim to be a follower of Jesus has not impacted the way that they live their life. It reminds me of a song we used to sing at Sunday school. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, clap your hands, stomp your feet, say amen, do all three. I know that's probably gonna be stuck in your head now for this morning. But well, We used to sing that song, and sorry if it is stuck in your head, but those are really powerful words because I wonder what evidence do we, if we claim to be followers of Jesus, give that that claim is actually genuine, that it's actually true. Many speakers have used this illustration, that if it was a crime to be a Christian, and you were arrested and brought before the judge, would there be enough evidence to convict you? And the application's always the same. Live your Christian life in such a way that there is no doubt. And and what I'm talking about is really, really important in the mind of James. And we've been going through the book of James. We are now... I guess we're going to be done chapter 2 as of today. Uh, but we've gone through chapter 1, and we've gone through chapter 2. And this is a theme that James has been developing. In fact, the, the title of our series is A Faith That Works. And many commentators would suggest that James' main point, his main theme of his letter is that real faith works. Or if I could expand it a bit, real faith provides or results in genuine works. And we've seen him develop this right through the beginning, that a proper response to the gospel results in a total life change from the inside out. Gospel change, and we've seen how this proper response, this change of life, is to impact the way that we live our life. It's to impact our conversation. Remember, we're to control our tongue. It impacts our, our compassion. We're supposed to, to feel compassionate and, and want to help those who are in need and, and unable to help themselves. It impacts our character. We are to do everything we can with the help of the Holy Spirit to, to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. And last week, we saw that genuine followers of Jesus strive to show no Partiality to show no favoritism. And that brings us to chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. And I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible with you, and you don't have a Bible app on your phone, get the Pew Bible in front of you. It's page 978. There's a lot of material to cover this morning. I'm going to try to do it as quickly and clearly as I can but it'd be very helpful for you to have a copy of God's word uh, in front of you so we are at chapter 2 verses 14 through 26 and many believe that this is the main thesis the main assertion of James in the letter That everything that he has said so far is pointing to what we're going to say this morning. And everything that he's going to say after today's passage points back to our passage for today. And let me caution you James does not mince words, he pulls no punches. As we've seen already, he just kind of says it like it is. He is going to say some things that at first glance seem puzzling. Confusing? And he's going to say some things near the end of our passage that at first glance, and for some people even second glance, seemed downright contradictory. So hopefully that whets your appetite a little bit for what we're going to look at this morning. And so this this is his main point of the text, and I believe probably the main point of his letter. Faith... That is devoid of works. Faith that lacks any evidence that it's true is not genuine saving faith. Faith that's devoid of works, that lacks fruit, we'll, we'll use all of these little phrases as we go through this text this morning. Faith that's devoid of works is not genuine saving faith ask it in the form of a question, does someone who claims to have faith and yet gives no evidence of that faith by the way they live their life, does that faith constitute genuine saving faith? And James's resounding answer to that question is no, it doesn't. And if that's the case, if that's what James is asserting to us this morning, then there's some very important questions we need to answer and to understand for ourselves. We need to understand as we obey the call to evangelize and share the gospel with people and, and try to bring them uh, into a saving relationship with Jesus. The questions we need to answer are this, and, and they're really two sides of a coin. What is the characteristics of genuine saving faith? And by implication, what is the character of the kind of faith that doesn't save? So those are the two questions we're going to look at. Now, if you've got your Bible open, we're going to start reading. And I'm just going to read our passage as we move through it. Or at least I'm going to attempt to. Hopefully I don't forget uh, to read the verse I'm talking about. But, But let's begin at verse 14. And James sets the stage by imagining a hypothetical person who claims to have faith but whose life offers no deeds or works, depending on what translation you have. Deeds, works, you can use those words interchangeably. So in verse 14 it says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? so let me just break down that first question. Has no deeds is actually written in the present tense. So this lack of evidence is an ongoing condition in this claim maker's life. There has never been evidence. There still is no evidence that this claim to have faith is real. And James says that this claim maker has no deeds. No works. What does he mean by works? Because I've used that word and deeds a number of times, fruit. What is he referring to? And really, it's, it's, it's a pretty wide open definition. It's the vast array of things that a genuine follower of Jesus might or might not do. Now, don't get James wrong. First question James is asking, he asks two questions. They're both rhetorical. Uh, They're both written in Greek in a way that requires it to be a negative answer. And James isn't really expecting us to answer because he wants to give us the answer. And so the first question is, what good is it if someone claims to have faith, but their life doesn't give evidence that they really have genuine saving faith? And I'll give you a spoiler alert if you look down at verse 20. Verse 20 says, Faith without deeds, faith without works, faith without fruit is useless. And the word useless here means empty, pointless, vain. Uh, The person who's making a claim to be a follower of Jesus but has absolutely no evidence of it in the way that they live their life is deceiving themselves. And we've already looked at that where James talks that you may fool others, you may even deceive yourself, but you're not fooling God. So that's the first question that James asks. And then the second question is, so he says, what good is it? Well, it's no good. It's useless. And then he says this, can such faith save him? Can such faith save her? Don't miss the important word in that question. It's the word such. You could exchange it for could that kind of faith save them? And so don't misunderstand James again. James is not questioning that faith is necessary for salvation. What James is looking at is the nature of the kind of faith that's necessary for salvation. And so what James is saying, a kind of faith, a kind of claim gives no evidence, that produces no fruit, there's no works, there's no deeds, is not genuine saving faith. It's a phony faith. It's the kind of faith that doesn't save. Understand this about James. James would be in full agreement, and he's been accused of not being. But James, even in the letter that we've been looking at, is in full agreement with the other writers of scripture that say that we are saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. By grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. And we've seen that in in chapter one of James in verse 17. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father. Well, salvation is probably the greatest gift that comes down from above. In verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. It's not because of anything we've done. God chose by his grace to make it possible that we could have a right, saving relationship with him. And then a verse that Al looked at last week, chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. It's through faith In Jesus Christ. So James in this letter shows us that he firmly supports that being saved is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. But what he's really getting at in our passage this morning is there is a kind of faith that isn't a saving faith. And that sounds really controversial. It's like, Brent, how can you say that? How could James say that? I'm saying it because James says it. Well, why does James say that? Because it doesn't sound right. And yet it does sound right. Because if I pointed to, some, you, to someone who claimed to have faith, and we're going to look at this in a minute, who claims to have faith because they, they know so much about the Bible, but that's it, well, you would agree with me that's not saving faith. It, it hasn't gone any further. Well, I could show you someone who says that they have faith but it's not in Jesus Christ, it's in someone else or something else. And we would agree, well, that's not saving faith. I could show you someone else that says that they have faith. they got faith in themselves. That They believe wholeheartedly that they're going to go to heaven because they're a good person. They have lots of kind deeds in their repertoire. Many achievements... Unbelievable abilities. But if being saved is by f- grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, faith in ourselves is not a saving faith. And so what James wants us to understand, there is a kind of faith. There is such faith that doesn't save because it doesn't produce fruit. And genuine faith results in genuine works. So something is not connecting. And so hopefully as you understand verse 14, James is setting the stage for what he's going to say. It'll help us to understand what he says in the following verses. And in verses 15 through 19, There's so many different ways to tackle these verses. I'm going to try to do it in an easy way, stolen from Chuck Swindle, um, in his headings anyways. I I think it's a really easy way to understand. What what James wants to do is dig deeper. Dig deeper into this idea that there is a faith that doesn't save, but there is a genuine saving faith. And as we look through verses 15 through 19, we find four characteristics of genuine saving faith faith. And the first one is in verses 15 and 16. And James writes, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so the first thing James wants to show us is that genuine faith results in acts of compassion. That Genuine faith isn't indifferent, it gets involved. And he paints a picture that would have hit home for his original readers especially. He introduces them to one of their own brothers or sisters from their very own community who's suffering, who's starving, who's half naked. And one thing I really find interesting about Verses um, 15 and 16, just kind of a, as an aside. It's like, right, James has said that, that real faith results in genuine works. And I've defined works as the vast array of things that a real follower of Jesus might do or might not do. So you've got those two, the phrase and the definition. So imagine the list that James could come up with. Imagine the list that we could come up with of fruit, fruit. This shows that you're a follower of Jesus or evidence or, or works or, or deeds. Maybe we would have a list of do's and don'ts, right? True followers of Jesus, don't sleep around, don't get drunk, drunk don't commit adultery. Uh, and we would fill that list with a bunch of things that true followers of Jesus do, and we go, oh, that's just a list of do's and don'ts. Well, if you went to 1 Peter 4 we'd, we'd, or in Galatians 5, we'd see a list of the things that the followers of Jesus don't do anymore. In fact, we don't do it anymore, and because we don't do it, people make fun of us and ridicule us. So that would be a very worthwhile list. Or we could go to Galatians 5 and the fruits of the Spirit, and we could make a list of all the fruits of the Spirit. These are, these are the works. This is the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, Right? Kindness, patience, long-suffering, all those things. Or we could make a list, another list. Put them all together. It'd be a really long list of of spiritual disciplines, habits of holiness, reading scripture, prayer, worship, attending church, all those different things. So we've got this huge, long list. And every one of them is good. Every one of them is appropriate. Everyone should be on that list. They're all important to us. But what's really interesting, James doesn't mention any of them. Rather, he gives this illustration saying that if you're a genuine follower of Jesus, you know what is going to evidence that? It's the way you take care of the physical needs of those in your own community who are suffering, who are hurting, who are hungry, who need clothing. Why does he use this? I'm assuming it's a relevant issue for his people. But I think he wants to show us that 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 list that we can really easily come up with often those things that we would never do anyways or we find easy to do will be on that list. But just as important is how we take care of the needs of those who are in our very midst, our brothers and our sisters. And James says, can you imagine? A brother or sister is right in your midst. They're hurting, they're suffering, they're they're starving, they're half naked. And you were to say to them, keep warm. Eat heartily. God bless you. Goodbye. And to walk away and do absolutely nothing. James goes, what good is that? What benefit is that? And James says it's useless. It's of no benefit. It's of no good. And we get that, right? As, as much as some of us suffer or, or, or suffer, uh, struggle, uh, to show proper care for those in need, we get what James is saying. And then James hits us with a two by four and he says in the same way, claiming to have faith and yet showing no evidence of that faith in your life is useless. It's of no good. It's of no benefit. So genuine faith gets involved. It's not indifferent. The second thing we see in verse 17, uh, and let's read verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And really quickly here, because it really just flows right out of the first point I just made. Genuine faith is not a lone ranger thing. Genuine faith is not independent. Rather, it is accompanied by, it is in partnership with works and and with deeds. Genuine faith produces fruit. And James says, if it doesn't produce fruit, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, and yet there's no evidence of that fact, of that claim in your life, he says, your faith is dead. And the word dead here literally means corpse. It's ineffective. It's impotent. And that's not how the Bible describes saving faith. The Bible describes saving faith as living and vibrant and and effective. So genuine saving faith is not independent of works, but is in partnership and is accompanied by works. Then we move to verse 18. And verse 18 is a really tough verse uh, to translate perfectly because in the original language there's no punctuation so we're not really sure who's saying what in verse 18 so James says but someone will say you have faith I have deeds show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds and so we're not sure what what is the other person saying what's James saying is James just saying everything, saying what, telling us what somebody else said and then saying what he said to them gets a little bit confusing because in the, in the original Greek, there's no punctuation marks. Um, what James, the point I believe he's trying to get across here is that genuine faith is not invisible. Rather, it's on display. And I'm sure you have met someone who claims to have faith But they claim to have a private faith. It's a quiet faith. It's a faith that they keep to themselves. It's not a faith that they want to rattle anyone's cage with. They don't want to be seen as a religious fanatic. And James listens to this person, and then I'm sure he scratched his head. If genuine if real faith results in genuine works how can you have a genuine faith that's invisible It's a contradiction of terms Real saving faith shows up in the way that we live our life That's what James says because a mark of genuine saving faith is it's not invisible Rather it's on display by necessity By its very nature, it displays itself. And then we come to verse 19. Sorry, I'm flying through these here because of time. Verses 19. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Genuine faith is not merely intellectual but it penetrates the heart and impacts, it changes the way that we live our life. I remember back in university, I was taking sociology, and I was so excited that there was a sociology of religion class. And I signed up for that. I thought that it was even going to be more of a breeze than sociology is in and of itself. Uh, and the professor was a reverend or something from downtown Toronto and had written books. In fact, one of the books that we used was his own book that he had written. He knew everything about Christianity and about a whole bunch of other religions. He knew the Bible inside out. But it never went beyond his head. It never penetrated his heart. It never changed his life. To him, Christianity was just one of many religions that are just simply institutions in society, which I guess I should have figured that out, that it was sociology of religion, but but that's what it was. And, And James here introduces us to someone similar to my U of T professor, someone who claims to have all this religious knowledge, And James says, that's good. You know that God is one God. That's the Shema. But you know what? Even the demons believe that. In fact, you, can I introduce you to some people that have really good theology, a good grasp and understanding of, of a God and Jesus? It's the demons. They just have not experienced genuine saving faith. They haven't repented. But they got one thing up on you. At least they've responded. James says they shudder. It's the Greek word for goosebumps. The demons have all this head knowledge and they quake in fear. They bristle. James says, but genuine saving faith isn't just knowing a whole lot about Jesus. Genuine saving faith is about embracing Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord and making Him the master and ruler of our life and living every day for Him. That's genuine saving faith. That's how it penetrates our heart. And and it's evidenced in our hands and in our feet and and in in our voice. So James gives us these four characteristics of genuine saving faith. And then we get to verses, the last verses of our text. And James wants to drive home this point. That that true saving faith changes the way that we live. That, That real faith is evidenced and results in genuine works. And what he wants to do is to give us some Old Testament examples of where we see true faith in action. How true faith in God resulted in visible outward actions. And I'm sure the list that James could have chosen from was quite long. But in these final verses, he chooses two polar opposites. Abraham... And Rahab, Abraham, the father of the Hebrews, uh, great in power and respect, the receiver of God's promises. And and then Rahab, a a Gentile woman, a prostitute, a violator of God's moral law. And we might ask, "Why? why such extremes? And I think it's because when you use Abraham and Rahab and you try to cover that wide of a gap of who they were and what they were, James has to cast a really wide net. And that wide net captures all of us. Because he wants us to see that faith results in works. And that applies to me. And that applies to every one of you if you claim to have faith. That if you've put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's your profession, that it will impact your life because you are a totally new person. And that should be evidenced in the way that you live your life. And James wants us to understand that and he wants to drive this point home that there is a kind of faith that doesn't save but there is true saving faith and it results in works and deeds and fruit. And if I could end the sermon here right now, that would be quite comfortable. But James keeps on talking. <laughs> he keeps on writing and in these verses he says Some things that have caused great controversy. Martin Luther himself didn't know what to do with James. In fact, he says he would give the green beret of his dentist, which I have no idea what that means, uh, to someone who could explain how James and Paul, who it seems that he's contradicting, uh, um, could be harmonized. So let's just read those last verses in James, and let me see if you can figure out where the controversy is. James says in verse 20, You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? Now, your translation and many of the English translations use the word justified. Was not our father Abraham justified? and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous or justified for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in, different, in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Did you catch what? Might be the contradiction or the confusion, or as we titled the sermon, the great debate. Paul in Romans 3, verse 28, says that we are justified by faith alone, not by observing the law, apart from observing the law. We are made righteous, we are considered righteous. James says, that we are justified by what we do and not by faith alone. Now, I got to be honest, this little controversy has filled many a textbooks, has I'm assuming been seminary courses that have spanned many weeks and months, have been sermons in and of themselves, maybe even sermon series and I got about 3 minutes to try to explain this to you in a way that you go, oh, I get it, it's not really a controversy. James and Paul are in agreement. So let me try and just be gracious to me as I do it. Let me give you three reasons why I believe that this is not a contradiction, that there isn't a controversy. And the first thing is this, if you read the book of Acts, we find that James was in full support of the message and the ministry of Paul. Paul. If there was a contradiction, if there was a big debate between Paul and James, we would have read about it. James only comes across as fully supportive of the message that Paul is proclaiming to the Gentiles that being saved is by grace through faith in Christ alone. Second thing important to know Paul and James are speaking to different audiences. The context to which they're writing is different. Paul is combating those who believe that to be saved, you have to put your faith in Jesus plus keep part of the Mosaic law. And Paul's going, no. You're saved by putting your faith in Christ alone. Apart from any of the laws that you may or may not observe. James is writing to combat those who are claiming to have faith and yet there's absolutely no evidence in the way that they live their life that that claim is true. Now James wrote before Paul did, but Paul's message was out there. And some believe that this message that Paul was speaking, that you're justified, you're you're put into a right relationship through faith We're taking it, misunderstanding it, misconstruing it, and we're going around going, well, all you gotta do is is just say that you believe in Jesus and you can live however you want. You can do all the things that you used to do. And so James is writing to combat, not Paul's message, but to combat a misunderstanding of Paul's message. And he's going, no. A claim to have faith that has no fruit, that's not true saving faith. That's not the kind of faith that saves. So the writing to two different audiences, as one, as one um, commentator said, Paul and James are like two wings on a bird required for the bird to fly. Now we, we've got hens. We keep them in a chicken coop. If we didn't do something, they would fly out of the chicken coop and then they meet the fox or the raccoon or get into Allison's garden. All those things are bad. So what you do is you hold the hen spread open its wing, and you clip the flight feathers, which doesn't hurt the bird, but you clip the flight feathers so that they can't fly. Like you would never see a one-winged bird in flight. And and that is what Paul and James are, why I say it's like two sides of a coin. Because without James' correction on those who've misconstrued what Paul has said, you're going to have a whole bunch of people claiming to be followers of Jesus and yet all they did was say a couple of words and then there's been no life change whatsoever. And then the flip side, people think, well, you've got to put your faith in Jesus but you've got to do all these different things and keep the Mosaic law and you've got to be circumcised and, 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 and Paul's going, no, I've got to correct that. That's, that's not correct. So that's the second thing. They're both speaking to different audiences. And then the third and the most crucial point that you need to understand that I think will clear a lot of this up for you is that there are two nuances to the word justified. And the NFV uses the phrase considered righteous because I think it's trying to uh, show this the the nuance that James uses? There's a nuance of the word justified that is a declaration, a declaration of rightness. There's a nuance of the word justified that is a demonstration of rightness. Paul uses the nuance of declaration. it's, It's a legal proceeding where a guilty person is brought before the judge and despite the guilt, their guilt, the judge declares the person innocent, justified, made right. And so Paul says a person is declared to be in right standing with God by grace through faith alone in Christ alone. That's it. But James picks up that same word, but he uses the different nuance. He's not talking about a declaration of rightness. He's talking about a demonstration of rightness. And so what James is saying is a person demonstrates that they are in a right standing with God. How? Because they put their faith, because of God's grace, in Christ alone, and they're saved, and they've been given new birth, and they're totally changed, and they demonstrate that by their works, by the things they do, by the fruit in their life. And if you understand that, then you understand why he uses the stories of Abraham and Rahab. Because both of them, from totally different walks in life, put their faith in God, and that faith was evidenced. It was demonstrated. It was displayed in the things that they did, obediently willing to offer up Uh, Isaac, putting her life on the line to hide the spies in the case of Rahab. That's what true faith looks like. It results in actions. That's what Jesus said. We don't have the time to look at all the things Jesus said, but if I could summarize Jesus's teaching on genuine saving faith, it would be that it results in actions. True saving faith is willing to bet its life on Jesus, to make Jesus master, Lord, not just Savior, to follow him, to, to have a change of outlook, to have a, a change uh, of direction. That's what true genuine faith looks like. And what does true genuine faith look like in our life? It's seen in the one who continues to praise God despite circumstances in their life that would dictate otherwise. True, genuine faith is seen in the person who says no to the temptations of the world, regardless of how attractive they might be. True, saving faith is evidenced and seen in the person who says no when everyone else around them is saying yes. True, genuine faith is seen in those who put God first despite the sacrifices that might mean. True, Genuine faith means trusting in the timing and the wisdom of God instead of finding all of our uh, energy zapped uh, in anxiety. True, genuine faith changes our life. And we get to the end of the passage in verse 26. One last driving home of the point. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And James is simply saying, when there's a separation, when there is a disconnect, if there's a disconnect between a body and its spirit, we got a problem. And if you are noticing a disconnect, a separation between your claim of faith and the life that you're living, there's a problem. There's a disconnect. And the the. The reason for the problem, the root of the problem, is only found in, two, in in two reasons. One is that you are a true follower of Jesus, but you have strayed, and you need to repent. John tells us, in first in, in John, that, that if we repent of our sin, and he's writing to believers, if, if, if we repent of our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all righteous, unrighteousness. So we need to repent and get on track and, and start to grow spiritually again. But there may be someone here, and you're going, well, "I think I believe, I, I, I claim to be a Christian, but now that you have talked about it for 40 minutes, I don't see any evidence. There's nothing different about the way I live my life and everybody else in this world that pays no regard to God lives their life. Why the disconnect? And I would suggest, quite possibly, there's no fruit because there's no root. You can't expect to have the fruit, the evidence, the works and deeds of a follower of Jesus if you truly aren't a follower of Jesus. And maybe for you, you need to understand what God has done for you through his son, Jesus, that there is forgiveness of your sin, that there is a way to be made right. And, and, and that is one of our greatest purposes and greatest joys here at Auburn, is to be able to have that discussion with someone. And One of the things I've always struggled with is to have a sermon like this now. And then we move into communion and we move into songs and 30 minutes passes and and maybe some of the questions or or things that you'd really like to do or talk about kind of fade away a bit. Don't let that happen this morning. Pastor Al, myself, Paul, anyone that's been up on the stage here would love the opportunity to talk to you about what it means and what it takes to be in a right relationship with God. So that your life can be changed, that you can have a new birth, that, that fruit will be seen in your life, that's evidence of this great love that God has for you, uh, that you have grabbed onto by taking Jesus as your Savior. So please talk to us, even in the middle of whatever's going on. In the next half hour, tap on in the next half hour, tap on one of our shoulders, and we'd love to. We'll leave and we'll we'll talk to you. But I think it's a serious serious matter. Let's pray, Father heavy, heavy topic this morning. And Lord, I just pray that you have given me clarity and and given those listening understanding of, of your truth. If there's anything I muddled that it was forgotten, uh, Lord, but most of all, that we would understand the importance of being in a right relationship with you and how being in a right relationship with you impacts our whole life. And we produce fruit that brings glory to you, Father, if there's anyone who's struggling, not understanding, knows that they don't know you, thinks that they know you, but they're not sure, knows that they know you, but don't understand why they're living their life the way that they live, don't let them leave here this morning without dealing with it. And God, give us wisdom to know the things to say. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. And as we continue, may all glory go into him. Amen.